0: Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast, Fear. It prevents us from experiencing the extraordinary in our lives. It's a stumbling block to our faith and strangles the mission of the church. But embracing a heart of trust in Christ creates the opportunity for unimaginable hope. Today, we continue our series, Extraordinary, with a message titled, A Sea of Fear. Here's Associate Pastor Josh Masters.
1: Well, good morning, Brookwood. Does anyone have any storms in their life that they'd like to see Jesus calm? Anybody have any storms inside of them that they'd like to see Jesus calm? Today we're continuing our series called Extraordinary or Extraordinary. And as we've explored some of the interactions that Christ has had with the disciples, we've seen how ordinary people can encounter An extraordinary God. This week we're going to be looking at two, not just one, but two familiar Bible stories in a message called A Sea of Fear. Has anyone here ever been afraid or lived in fear? That's a good portion of you. Well, in both these stories that we're going to look at with the disciples, we find that the disciples are terrified. And sometimes in our lives we come across circumstances and life circumstances where we are terrified. Fear is one of the greatest stumbling blocks to our Christian walk and to our faith. Fear prevents us from fulfilling God's purpose in our lives and it strangles the mission of the church. But this is not going to be a message about bucking up to get the work done. It's not going to be a a pep talk To say, come on, if we just can get over our fear, we can make it happen. We can make incredible things happen here at Brookwood. Because the truth is that we can't make it happen. We're incapable of making it happen. And if we're honest, that's why we're afraid, isn't it? The root of our fear is that we can't make anything happen. That we're out of control. There are storms in our lives that we can't overcome on our own. And we allow fear to prevent us from believing that God can overcome them either. If you take notes, write this down. We'll put it up on the screen. Fear prevents us from experiencing the extraordinary in our lives. Fear prevents us from experiencing the extraordinary in our lives. It paralyzes us. Or worse, it pushes us to make unhealthy, even destructive decisions in our lives. And the sea, if we talk about a sea of fear, the sea is a perfect analogy for our fear because it drowns us, it swallows us alive, dragging us under, and we can't escape its undertow unless we're rescued. And for the disciples, some of those moments of great fear literally took place on the sea. The first one is found in the book of Mark chapter 4. You can go ahead and turn or swipe there in your Bibles. That's where we'll start. It's on page 804 if you're using the Bible available here at the bookstore. We're going to start down at the bottom of the page on verse 35 in just a moment. Now, Jesus, prior to this, Jesus has been teaching all day. He's been teaching through parables, and he's been teaching to large crowds from a boat. And he's standing in the boat teaching while the people are listening along the shore. That's what is happening just prior to this passage. So we pick it up, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to the disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Where did He tell them that they were going? The other side. So they took Jesus in the boat, and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed them. We never find out what happens to these other boats. But soon, a fierce storm, remember the phrase, fierce storm, came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Now, because of the nature and the topography of Galilee, the lake is prone to sudden and violent storms. But, of course, many of the men on this boat were fishermen that fished that lake all the time. So it wouldn't have been a normal storm that made them afraid, right? They would have faced storms before. This had to be a major life-threatening storm to frighten them. And where was Jesus? He was asleep. That's exactly right. Verse 38. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? So the boat is taking on water. These were small boats held about 15 people. The boat's taking on water. These men are certain that they're going to die, and they are terrified. And it's hard to get that that picture in our image. And I think one of the best visuals of this moment is probably Rembrandt's painting of this moment. It's from 1633, we're gonna put it up on the screen. This is his painting, the Storm on the Sea of Galilee. And of course, I'm not in Rembrandt's head. I don't know what he was thinking, but the reason that I love this painting, what I love about this painting is that to me, if you look at each of the men in this painting, if you look closely, they each represent all the different ways that we respond to fear, even today. So we're gonna zoom in on a few of them. Let's zoom in on the first group. Is that how you zoom? These are the guys in the bow of the boat. What are they doing? They're what? Holding on? They're working, right? These are the doers, the fixers. These are the men who combat fear by fighting the unbeatable and sealing their defeat in busyness. I will fix this. I will make it happen. Now, certainly... When we're in a storm, there are things that we need to do. God doesn't call us to just sit and do nothing. But these men had watched Jesus perform miracle after miracle, yet they're still relying on their own skills to save them rather than Jesus Christ. How long did they try to fix it before they woke up Jesus? Now let's look in the stern of the boat. That was the bow of the boat. Let's look in the back of the boat, closer in the painting. Now here I see actually several different responses to fear. See the guy up front in in red hanging over the boat? (laughs) He's clearly throwing up. (laughs) Right? He has so surrendered to his anxiety that he can't do anything except make himself sick. And there are people in this room who are making themselves sick out of fear. And for record, for a long time, I was that guy. I struggled with paralyzing anxiety for years and it made me afraid of everything. Now look at the crowd surrounding Jesus. There's a bunch of guys surrounding Jesus. That's the biggest group. This is the group that likes to complain. They're the complainers. Don't you care, Jesus? Somebody should do something. They're the opposite of the doers. They're the complainers. Do you know anyone in your life that is a complainer by nature? Don't look at them. (laughs) If you don't know anyone in your friend group, it might be you. (laughs) Because every group has got a complainer. Finally, the the last guy I want to look at right now, the most unsettling, is the guy in white off to the left. Can you see him? He's not doing anything. He's just got his head down and his back turned away. You know why? Because he's given up. He's hopeless. That's a very dangerous response to fear. Listen to me. If you feel that way today, don't give up. Don't give up. Let us walk with you. We can walk through the storm with you, but don't give up. But all of us face all of these responses from time to time. So, if we go back to the main painting, which one are you? Which one of these guys are you? Are you the fixer or the anxious or the complainer or the hopeless? Because all of these responses of fear are still crippling people today. The same way they did when Rembrandt painted and the same way they did when the disciples were on that boat. Because fear is all around us, isn't it? It's fear of the future. Fear about relationships and sickness, fear of war and election outcomes and the economy. Some people aren't here today because they're afraid of rain. That was like a riffle. I like that. One person said, I'm gonna laugh at that. And everyone went, oh, it's okay. But listen, we've got rioters practically every other week somewhere in our country, rioters trying to cover their fear with anger. And make sure you understand this, anger is always or almost always rooted in fear. It's a cover for fear. And we've got the hopeless and the sick being ignored just like in the painting. And we've got complainers spreading doubt and stoking fear on social media. And a lot of those people are in the church. Ordinary fear prevents the extraordinary from happening in your life because fear embraces an uncertain future. That's your first fill-in in your outline. Fear embraces an uncertain future. Rather than moving forward with hope, fear causes us to focus on uncertainty rather than the possibilities of what God might do. We never see the opportunities that God puts in front of us when we are negatively focused on the uncertainty of our future. Who here has an uncertain future? Let me see your hands. Who has an uncertain future? Some of you. If you didn't raise your hand, I've got bad news. (laughs) James 4. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapors that appear for a little while and then vanishes everyone's life is uncertain. Every circumstance is uncertain. But fear makes us hyper aware of our uncertainty. And it begs us to wrestle control away from God. And we try to be in control of it. Fear is a desire to control the uncontrollable. I'll say that again. Fear is a desire to control the uncontrollable, but we can't control the future, can we? So, what's the only way to avoid fear? The only way to avoid fear is what? Trust Trust who? Trust God. Trust the one who does know the future, the one who does control the outcome. Look at Hebrews 6. So God has given both His promise and His oath. Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies where? Before us, forward. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. When the storm comes, we need to have an anchor. And the only anchors that hold are the promises and the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. That's the only way to move forward with confidence and confident hope in an uncertain world. He's the navigator. We're not the navigator, He's the navigator. In fact, here's a funny little piece of Bible trivia. What was Jesus sleeping on? Cushion. Well, archaeologists and scholars, many believe that every one of these fishing boats would have uh, had a cushion on it. And do you know who the cushion was for? The helmsman. What does the helmsman do? He directs the ship. Jesus directs the ship and he's so good at it that he can do it while he's sleeping. (laughs) Jesus was sleeping, taking a nap in complete peace during the storm because he is the ultimate helmsman. And when an anchor needs to be dropped, he is the ultimate anchor. And because he was in complete union with the Father. So there's nothing to be uncertain about. Listen carefully. We're not actually afraid of uncertainty. We've tricked ourselves. We're not actually afraid of uncertainty. We're uncertain because we're afraid. See the difference? Do you see the difference in those two? Because even if we don't know the outcome, and none of us do, none of us know the outcome, We can have assurance in who's directing the boat, who's dropping the anchor when it needs to be dropped. The uncertainty doesn't cause our fear. Our fear creates uncertainty in us because fear distorts our view of who God is and fear embraces an uncaring God. That's your next fill-in, an uncaring God. Now, God obviously is not uncaring. God is incredibly caring. But when we embrace our fear, when we dwell in it, we begin to warp our sense of God so that we can justify our fear. Do you see? We create a separate idol that allows us to live in the fear that we've embraced. And when we do that, we start to believe God is uncaring, And that He's unconcerned with our struggles. Let's be honest. You don't have to raise your hands for this. But how many people in this room or online in our online campus in the midst of tragedy or grief or struggle have thought, God doesn't even care? And I don't ask that to make you feel guilty. I bring it up so you know that you're not alone. Because if we had raised our hands, most of the hands would have gone up. Because that is the normal, ordinary human response. David's Psalms are filled with poetry of him crying out to God, saying, God, where are you? Why don't you care? Why is this happening? It's an ordinary response that steps in the way of an extraordinary deliverance. And that's exactly where the disciples are in this story. They're having an ordinary response and missing the extraordinary deliverance. Look again at verse 38. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, Don't you care that we're going to drown? Jesus, don't you care? Well, that's the question, isn't it? That's the question that keeps people out of faith. Does Jesus care about what you're going through? Does he care about your job? Does he care about your pain? Does he care about your loneliness or your hurt or how you've suffered? Is he a distant God or is he a close God? Romans 8 15 gives us the answer. It says you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own what? Children. Now we call Him Abba Father. Do you see how this verse, look at it, how it ties the concept of fear and slavery together? See that? That's because fear chains us to our own limited abilities rather than leaning into Christ's infinite abilities. It shackles us to the lies that we believe about ourselves rather than seeing ourselves the way God sees us or through God's eyes. Listen, God doesn't want you to live in fear. He doesn't want you crippled by anxiety or for you to fight through and do it on your own. He wants you to trust His power and His strength and His direction, but not only as the mighty God, but as your Abba Father. If you don't know the term Abba, it's an Aramaic word. It means it's more intimate than the word Father. It's more relational. Some have compared it to the word Daddy. It's not exactly right, but it's close. It's intimate, it's relational, it's protective. It's a parent and child. Now the truth is, some of us had earthly fathers that didn't do a very good job showing us care in this world. But God is a father that is never cruel. God is a father that never leaves and he never abandons. Are you willing to discover that father? Because to do that, you have to let go of the sinking mast and step toward the one that can help you. Could the disciples do anything really about this storm or their boat taking on water? No, of course not. So they wake up Jesus and they say, don't you even care that we're going to drown? And what happens? Verse thirty nine. When Jesus woke up, he he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, "Silence!" And in Greek, that word actually means muzzled. He muzzled the waves. He muzzled the wind. Be still! And suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Remember back in verse thirty seven. The NLT said that this was a fierce storm. Remember that? Fierce storm. But the Greek word that is used there for fierce is actually the same word that's used here for great, calm. Fierce and great, same word in this verse. The word is megas. It means great, loud, mighty, even terrible. The calm was as great and mighty and terrible as the ferocity of the storm. They were equal. And if Jesus can command the winds and the waves, if he can bring complete peace to a deadly storm, don't you think he might be able to calm the storm that's going on inside of you? Because all of this, every, all this stuff out here, that's not what needs calming. It's here. This, this is what needs to be quiet if we're going to overcome our fear. Give all your worries and your cares to God because He cares about you. First Peter. He does care. Don't let your fear and embrace an uncaring God that doesn't exist. God cares more about you than you can fathom. But how do we learn to trust that? That's the struggle, right? That's the struggle. How do you put down the fear? Continuing in verse 40, Then Jesus asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Now they're terrified of him and his power. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the winds and the waves obey him. Look at that first line that's up there. What does Jesus attribute their fear to? A lack of faith. That's exactly right. We can embrace uncertainty and an uncaring version of God, or we can embrace trust and hope in His promises through faith. So we have to choose to embrace faith instead of fear. And I'm very intentionally using the word embrace here, both up here and also in your outline, because we get to choose what we cling to. That's what embrace means, right? To cling to. And you choose what you're going to cling on to in the storm. You can desperately cling to fear or you can decisively cling to the love of Jesus Christ. But to change that perspective, it takes courage. and Sometimes it takes support to learn how to do that because it's not a light switch, is it? And we will gladly walk beside you in that journey. We will help you figure out how to put the fear down and pick up the mantle of faith. You can call our care ministries department or our adult adult discipleship departments and we will help you take the next steps. But ultimately, ultimately in the end, you need to decide if your actions are going to be fear-based or faith-filled. And the first step in learning to do that, how do you switch from fear-based to faith-filled? The first step is to decide to trust God, even if you don't know how to do it. Even if you have no idea how you're ever going to get to a place where you trust God, decide that you will get there. Just make a decision that you're going to trust. You know, in Celebrate Recovery, which is for all different types of hurts, habits, and hang-ups, it's not just chemical addiction... But in Celebrate Recovery, we say, if you are not willing to trust God, are you willing to become willing? Because even if you're not willing, if you're willing to become willing, we can help you, we can walk with you, we can get you there. say, God, I have no idea how to do this, and I'm probably going to fall multiple times, a thousand times, but I'm deciding that I'm going to learn to trust You, and I'm deciding it right now. Because faith embraces an undaunted trust. Undaunted trust. And I know that's not a common word. Not everybody uses that word. I almost used another word, but really, undaunted is the right word. Anybody know what it means? Unlabored? Unwavering. Unwavering. That's a good definition. Unshakable. That's another good definition. What would you say? Courageous. Exactly. Let me put the definition up. It's courageous. The synonym is brave, not subdued, or depressed by fear. Now, that doesn't mean you'll never have fear. It doesn't mean you'll never be afraid, but it means that it never controls you. Courage is what you do despite of your fear. Jesus had told the disciples they were going to the other side of the lake. Remember, he said, we're going to the other side. But when an obstacle was put in front of them, they lost faith in what Christ had told them. And the goal they had given him, that he had given them, was out of sight. No one showed undaunting trust in that moment none of them. But later, a little later, they're going to face another storm on the lake, on the sea, and someone does show undaunted faith, even for just a moment. Let's flip back to Matthew 14. Go backwards a couple books, Matthew 14. It's on page 784 if you're using this. We'll start in verse 22 in just a second. Now, just for context, last week, J.C. walked us through the feeding of the 5,000. Everybody remember that, the feeding of the 5,000? And in this next passage that we're about to read, it takes place directly after that. This is right after Jesus miraculously multiplies a couple loaves and a couple fish to feed thousands of people, and then the disciples collect 12 baskets of leftovers. Remember that? So, this is what the disciples have just witnessed. They just saw this incredible miracle with the feeding of the 5,000, which we know was way, way more because that's just the men they were counting. And then this happens, Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately after this, this is after the feeding, Jesus insisted, it's a very strong word in Greek, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. So this story sounds in the beginning very much like the other story, right? Jesus tells them to take the boat to the other side of the lake and now they're facing a second storm. They're facing a second bout of waves in the middle of the night. But there's a problem. This time, Jesus is not on the boat. Not only is He not sleeping in the boat, He's not even on the boat. And the disciples are in trouble. The boat is in trouble. But, verse 25… About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw Him walking on the water, they were terrified in their fear, and they cried out, it's a ghost. In their fear, that's an important phrase. In their fear, they decided it was a ghost. Fear always makes us jump to conclusions usually wrong conclusions. And that's why we don't make good decisions when we embrace fear over faith. Now, to be fair and to be totally fair, if I saw someone walking on the water in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, I don't think I'd do any better than the disciples did. I really don't. But here's the point I want you to get. Do you see from that passage how fear interrupts your ability to process and think clearly. It interrupts your ability to reason and think through what is happening. And I have no doubt that their individual fear, right? Their individual fears fed into the group fear. Right? Someone had to be the first person to say it's a ghost. And then everybody else got on board and said, yes, let's be afraid of that. Fear multiplies itself in groups. And that's exactly what's going on in our country today. And it's exactly what's going on in our churches today. They had seen Jesus perform miracles and healing and casting out demons and the calming of the storm, but they'd never seen Him walk on the surface of the lake. And because in their fear, they jumped to a conclusion and assumed it was a ghost, they didn't see Christ at work. How many times in your life have you missed what Christ was doing? because you jumped to a conclusion in your fear. So Jesus has to reassure them. Verse 27. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. And that might be translated, take courage, the I am is here. I wonder how much less fear we would have in our lives if we could embrace that statement from Jesus Christ. If when the storms come, we could remember that Christ says, don't be afraid. Take courage. The I am is here. Jesus walks above the storm. The waves that you are frightened of are humbled under the feet of Jesus Christ. He walks on them. They're just pavement to him. And if we could remember that, if we could embrace that truth to take courage because the I am is here, then maybe we could have undaunted trust rooted in faith, the way we're going to see from Peter, even if he only holds it for a moment. Verse 28. Then Peter called to Him, Lord, if it's really You, tell me to come to You walking on the water. I want you to think about that for a minute, because just a little while ago, Peter was one of the men crying out in the storm, don't you even care that we're going to drown? Now Peter, in another storm, says, I see you, Lord, and if it's you, let me walk on water with you. Same man, different focus. When he clung to his fear, all hope was lost. When he clung to faith, even without knowing the outcome, even without knowing what was going to happen, He became courageous. And notice how he asks for the Lord's command. Did you notice that? Tell me to come to you. Now, Peter's an impulsive guy. Every story we read about Peter, he doesn't think. He just goes, right? I'm surprised as soon as the thought of walking on water came into his head, he didn't just jump over the boat, over the side, right? That's more Peter's style. But he asked Jesus to command him to come onto the water. Listen, if we want to see miracles in our lives, we need to seek his command over our desires. And when Peter did that, the unimaginable happened. Because faith embraces unimaginable outcomes and hope. If that's your last villain. Faith embraces unimaginable outcomes and hope. Peter says, let me come to you on the water. Let me walk with you on the water. And what does Jesus say? Verse 29, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and he walked on water toward Jesus. That's awesome. Peter didn't just step out of a boat. Peter stepped out of the ordinary into the extraordinary. How many people here have heard the phrase, if you, if you want to walk on water, you've got to? Get out of the boat. I don't think that's the right phrase because it's focused on the boat. Don't focus on getting out of the boat. Focus on where Christ is and then move toward Him. It doesn't matter if He's in the boat, out of the boat, on the shore, on a mountain, in the sky. Move to where Jesus is. Don't focus on what you're leaving. Focus on where you're going. Focus on where Christ is and move toward Him. I think that if Peter had been focused on the boat, I don't think he would have gotten out of the boat. Peter moved in unity with the Spirit of God. Focused on where Christ was. That could be another fill-in. I'm giving you a bonus fill-in. Write this down. Faith embraces unity with the Spirit. Faith embraces unity with the Spirit, and that's what Peter experienced. And when Peter did that, his ordinary abilities became extraordinary as he walked toward Jesus Christ. Well, we all know the story, right? He takes his focus off from Jesus. He looks at the waves and he begins to sink. Right? Verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why? did you doubt me? And the Greek, if you read it in the Greek, actually indicates a lot more tenderness than we get from the English. It's still a rebuke. It's certainly a rebuke, but there's compassion behind it. Why? Why did you have to doubt me? Peter experienced true unity with the Spirit. And honestly, I think Peter gets a bum rap in this story because every time it's ever taught, the focus is always on like, oh, Peter, you took your eyes off Jesus and you sunk, you fool. Well, how how many here have walked on water? (laughs) Right? Let's give him a little credit. He took steps toward the extraordinary. And then look what happens in verse 32. When they climb back into the boat, the wind stopped, and the disciples worshiped Him as the Son of God. Again, Jesus calms the storm, but this time He doesn't even speak. Just as soon as He gets in the boat, that's the end of the storm. But you know what I really love about this verse, and I, I didn't notice it ever before until I was preparing for this, what I love is that Jesus gets back in the boat with them. Because Jesus could have said, you have really let me down. You are a disappointment to me, and you know what? I will just meet you on the other side of the lake. But Jesus doesn't do that. He lifts Peter out of the storm, He sets them in a safe place. And then even though he could move forward without the boat, he stays where Peter and the disciples are at, even though they're not ready to walk on water. Listen, some of you need to stop focusing on how many times you've slipped into the water and start trusting that the I Am is in the boat? How would it change your life if you stopped believing the lie that God is disappointed in you and knew that He's just waiting for you to walk to Him? God says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. God wants you to have an undaunted trust, knowing that he will pull you out of the water. God wants you to experience unimaginable outcomes and hope. But let me be very clear. Unimaginable outcomes do not always mean the outcome that you want. We don't always get the outcome that we want. Undaunted trust means letting go of the outcome without fear. Look at your first fill-in and your last fill-in. What's the first fill-in say? Uncertain. Uncertain future. Do you know what the difference is between an uncertain future and an unimaginable outcome? Nothing. They're exactly the same. The only difference is perspective. In both cases, we don't know the future. In both cases, we don't know the outcome. Uncertain is unimaginable. The unimaginable is uncertain. But one is fueled by fear and anxiety, and the other is fueled by faith and hope. So, how will we respond? As individuals and as a church. Because we will face fears. There are some scary things coming. I know that because there's always been scary things coming. (laughs) We will have things that make us afraid as individuals and as a church, but we get to choose what we cling to. We get to choose what we embrace. We get to choose how we respond to the storm. So which one of these guys are you going to be? Are you going to be the fixer or the anxious one throwing up or the complainer or the hopeless? There's another option. There's one more guy in the boat that we didn't talk about. He's in the middle. There's one more guy Rembrandt painted. He's behind the guy throwing up. Do you see him on his knees? He's hard to see because he's on his knees praying. Now, there's no indication anyone did that in the biblical story. In fact, we know none of them did. None of them prayed. They all failed. So maybe this guy's supposed to be us. Maybe we pray through the storm together. David wrote this prayer. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what He has promised, and I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? And he can pray that because the promise of God is this. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel. Let's lean into that when we're afraid. Let's let that be our banner when we're afraid. And if you don't know how, we will help you. After we pray, there will be pastors and care volunteers down front and in our care connection room, they will pray with you, they will talk with you, they will answer your questions, they'll anoint you with oil if you want. But don't journey alone in fear. If you're in our online campus, there'll be a button that you can click and someone will get in touch with you so that we can help you too. Let's journey together to seek the one who brings peace to the storm. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of hope, that you are a God of wisdom. But above all, we thank you that you are a God that gets in the boat with us and tolerates our fear. And I pray that you would make us a people that seek your peace so that we can go out into a world that is filled with fear a fear-filled world and bring your hope and your mercy and your grace to a terrified people. But purify us here first. Purify our fear first. We give you praise for what you will do, knowing it is good. And we ask it in the name of Christ, who is our helmsman and our anchor and our Savior. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. One of the ways that you can strengthen your faith is by taking time to remember. How has God worked in your life? How have you seen Him work in other people's lives? What are some of your favorite stories of God's intervention in the Bible? As you reflect, jot down stories that come to mind. Thank God for who He is and all He's done. Confess specific topics that you've doubted His character in and His timing. Ask God to deepen your trust. Coming up next week, we'll continue our series, Extraordinary. And to prepare, read Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One of the ways you can do this is by getting connected to Brookwood. Email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864 688 8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like what you hear, leave a review so others can also discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.